Good morning, Sugar Creek. Are we not blessed to have such an amazing worship team on this stage this morning leading us into the presence of God? Amen. So good to see all of you today. My name is John Rushing. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Sugar Creek. And this morning, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing our special guest speaker to you today. I was introduced to this man 14 years ago in the year 2004. I'd gone with a group of our men to a Promise Keepers rally in San Antonio, Texas. And when I sat down in that arena that first day, sitting right next to me was the man that you're going to hear today. First time I had ever met Court Graves. We struck up a conversation. From that time, 14 years ago, over the years, Quart and his wife, Carrie, actually ended up in the Bible study that I teach on Sunday morning a number of years ago. They gave us the opportunity to get to know them even better. Over the years, that friendship has grown through several different avenues. Being there with their family in very special times, in great times, in tough times. Our family spending time with their family out at the ranch, sitting around the fire pit, enjoying steaks or hot dogs and hamburgers and fellowship with this amazing couple and their family. At Bible study at Quartz Ranch with some of these men sitting right over here, I believe you've come to hear him today. We're welcome. We're glad you're here. I will tell you, with Quartz and Carrie Graves, what you see is what you get. And what you see is nothing less than a man and woman who love God, love each other, love their kids, love the church, and show it. So today it's my great distinct pleasure to introduce him in just a moment. But before I do so, I would like to introduce his family. You'll see up on the screen several photos that include members of Court and Carrie's family. If you take a look at the upper right, uh, the upper left-hand corner, first of all, you'll see Court Graves IV with his wife, Sarah, and their two children, Matt and Lisa. What a beautiful family that is. Going right across to the upper right-hand uh, corner are their, is their daughter, Kristen, and her husband, Emmanuel. They're not able to be with us today. They're up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Just below them is their beautiful daughter who was just born last fall. She's just a few months old. That is little Adele. Now, the bottom left corner of the screen is their other daughter, Candace, and her husband, Nemo. We finally found him. <laughs> Not only that, but Nemo is here today, and it would be hard to miss this man. Nemo, would you stand? We have found Nemo. He is here today. Thank you, sir. Now, I would like to ask all of the family that is here today, but one more member of the family. John, I am not going to leave you out. Next frame, John is standing to the left of this picture here on Candace and Nemo's wedding day. Now, I'm going to ask all of the family to stand here so that we can welcome you. This is the Court Grave family, all that could be here today. We're so glad that all of you guys are here today. Thank you so much. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to ask you to give an enthusiastic welcome to this stage today, our guest speaker and my good friend, Court Graves the Third.
John, thank you so much for that uh, introduction. Most importantly, thanks for our amazing friendship. What a blessing it's been to me. You know, I am uh, I'm thrilled to be here today before my church family. What a blessing this is. What an opportunity. I think today you're going to hear a different type of message. Let me explain. First off, I'm not a pastor, so please don't hold me to that level of excellence if you'd be so kind. Also, I'm not really a polished speaker. You'll notice the note cards. I have, um, I really, have, I don't think, I, no, I've never spoken to a large church before. This is the first time. I've really had only one other occasion where I spoke to a big audience. I'll talk about that in just a moment. So I have a request for y'all, please. If you would, please pray, please pray now that the Holy Spirit would be with us and upon us during our time together. I feel like if you do that, two things will be accomplished. One, there's no telling what God can do during our time together if you do that. And secondly, I'll feel your presence on stage right here with me. Fair enough? I have another request, please. I'm, uh, because I'm not particularly well trained, I'm not real good at picking up signals or clues. So I want you to be interactive with me. I love amens. Amen? Amen. I love hallelujahs. Hallelujah. If you want to clap, clap. I love that. Thank you. That encourages me. If you want to groan, you can groan. Whatever fits your case, right? I just really, really appreciate that. My wife will tell you that at times I can be clueless, so I need your help today. All right. So they say you've got to know my family a little bit. Let's talk about my vehicle. They say that a vehicle reveals a lot about someone. So as you get to know me a little bit better... See it on the screen. Is that a beauty? You like her? That's what I drive. That's my 2005 F-150 pickup truck. It's mostly red. It's got 306,000 miles on it. And notice the license plate, C-H-I-K-I-N, spells the word chicken, just the way the cows spell it. You see, I'm a Chick-fil-A operator. I operate the stores in Greatwood and Rosenberg. I enjoy that. It's a lot of fun working for such a company. Um, a little story... Some years ago, one of my team members asked one of my managers kind of innocently, he said, you know, I can't help but notice that Mr. Graves drives a really old, beat-up truck. He said, I would like to think that he could afford something a little bit nicer. And I love my manager's response. He said, the thing about Mr. Graves is that he hates depreciating assets. So, so you see... You know I'm a Chick-fil-A guy, you've gotten to know my family, and you know that I love old, beat-up trucks. So now we're friends, now we can talk. I got a call in January of this year. It was one month before the Chick-fil-A National Convention. And I was told at the time that the theme of the convention was stronger. Stronger. And he said that this year, like any other year, the attendance was going to be at an all-time high. 6,000 people. It's going to be held in Orlando. He told me in the history of the company, they had never asked an operator to be a keynote speaker. And then it came. He asked me to be a keynote speaker. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, do you know the risk you're taking in having someone like me? I've never done anything like this. And I love what he said. He said, you know, our, our planning committee, we've been praying about this for months, and your name just keeps coming up. He said, Court, we just want you to tell your story. My brothers and sisters, we all have an amazing story of God's goodness in our life. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Amen. So Pastor Mark heard that message a couple months ago on YouTube, and he called me and he asked me if I would be willing to share it with my church family. And I said I'd be very much honored to do so. So that's what brings me here today. The title of the talk is Blessings of the Thorn, and we're ready to have some fun. So remember, interactive, okay? Each of us, there you go. Each, <laughs> each of us has had or will have stepping stones in our life, events that God uses to at times radically change our lives. Today I want to share a stepping stone in my life and what God has taught me and continues to teach me through it. On September the 8th, 1997, I was awaiting results for my MRIs. My doctor called me at 2 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon. Now, to give some t context, um, at that point, Dr. Poole had been our doctor for about 10 years. We love Dr. Poole and feel very much loved by him. So I asked him, I said, so did we find any tumors? And I immediately noticed that his tone was different, very different. And he said, yes, Court, we did. We found four masses. I said, wow, four. I said, where are they? And then he paused. He paused and he said, Court, they're in your liver. And there's been just a few times in my life where I think back, where I've heard something that was so shocking, I couldn't comprehend what I was hearing. That was one of those times. Because of our relationship, I was able to force Dr. Poole to be very direct with me. He told me that I had metastatic cancer. He told me that my odds of surviving just a few years were slim. I told him, I said, just medicating me and keeping me comfortable with what time I have left, it's not an option for me. I told him, my God is a healing God. He is not done with me yet. Amen. So we finished our talk. I got up. I closed my office door, being very transparent. I got on my knees, and I wept. I don't know how long. Maybe it was 20 minutes. It seemed like forever. And I got up. I dried my eyes off. I put my sunglasses on. I didn't want people to see that I'd been crying. And I made my way down to my vehicle. I got in my vehicle, and I made the longest trip of my life. It was a 30-minute trip home. And I had to tell my beautiful bride of 34 years that I was dying. All I could think about during the trip home were my children. That's all I could think about, my children. At the time, they were 11, 8, 6, and 3 years old. And I remember just crying out to God. Lord God, please let me live for my children. They need their daddy. And that's, that's all I could think about. Um, there's a lot more to that story, but I don't have time to tell it today. Medical update, fast forward 20 years. I've had 15 cancer surgeries in my life. I've had surgeries done on my liver. I've had a kidney and adrenal gland removed. Tumors removed by my heart in my back, in my stomach, pretty much all over. I've had parts of ribs removed. I've got several feet of scars. These tumors are especially rare. They're about one in a million, and they're very deadly because they secrete massive amounts of adrenaline. 
In fact, just standing here before you, I have anywhere from 10 to 20 times the amount that a normal person would have. And they're tough. They don't respond to radiation or chemo. All you can do is cut them out. So I think it was about eight years ago that Carrie and I sat across the table from Dr. Poole. <clears throat> He's become one of the world's foremost experts in FIOs. And he said to me something I'll never forget. <clears throat> he said, Court, <clears throat> he said, you are now the longest living survivor with metastatic FIOs in the world. So I asked myself this question, why me? Why me? Why has he let me live longer than anyone else that's had this? He could have chosen so much better than me. I don't think I'll ever know the answer to that question. <clears throat> but what I do know is this. What I do know is this. I'm such an idiot. I am so messed up. My shortcomings so profound that out of his infinite love for me, he gave me the incredible gift of a thorn in my side to put me back on course, his path for my life. I have learned and I continue to learn so much through all of this. I just wanna spend a few minutes and I wanna share some truths that I've learned, truths that I believe have not only made me stronger, but have kept me alive. I'm gonna share seven of these truths today. There's more I could share. <clears throat> the best, uh, the first one is balance, balance. The best interview that I've ever heard personally was at a Chick-fil-A convention and it was of John Wooden. Many of you will remember he was perhaps the greatest coach of all time. At the time he was in his 90s <clears throat> and he was just incredibly wise. And I remember him saying the two most important words in the English language are love and balance, balance. I've been around a lot of death, a lot of death. Because of my time, all my time in the hospitals, in and out of critical ICU, because of my ministry to people that are terminally ill, because of time in third world countries, I've been around a lot of death. I've had some skirmishes with it myself. What I've learned from my personal experience is that when you're face to face with it, images do pass before you. During those moments, my absolute priorities have become emphatically clear to me. In my case, all I've seen, all I've seen are my savior, my beautiful wife, the rest of my families, my family, and my closest of friends. I call on my life brothers. I have several here with me today. In fact, I was thinking, I have five here with me today and my friendship with them spans about 200 years, cumulative. So my friendships are precious to me. During those times, I haven't thought about anything else, not the work that I love, not my animals that I love, nothing else that I love, just what's most important to me. That's all that I thought about. Keep faith, family, and the closest of friends your absolute priority and you'll have balance in your life. Balance leads to tremendous strength. <clears throat> Lordship, the second truth. I mentioned when I was driving home that fateful day to tell my wife the news, I had one thing on my mind, my children. All I could think about. In the weeks and the months 
and in the years ahead. He taught me in his infinite love and patience that he loves my children far more than I ever could, that he cares for my children far more than I ever could, and that should he decide to take me home, he'll provide for them far better than I ever could. Learning that, amen? <clears throat> Learning that rocked my world. Are you ready for this? I was able to truly turn my children over to God for the first time in my life. The first time I surrendered them to him. He became Lord over my children. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to Carrie. They belong to him. Amen? Amen. Since then, I've surrendered one stronghold after the next, giving him lordship over what or whom I deem to be most precious in my life. My children, my marriage, my work, my health, my relationships, my future, my finances, making him truly Lord over each stronghold in my life with many more to still turn over. This is a lifelong process for us. Please listen, here we go. It's one thing for him to be savior of your life, the most important decision you'll ever make, but it is quite another. It is quite another for him to be Lord over your life. Are you with me? Amen. His lordship makes us so much stronger. The third truth, transcendence. I would define transcendence as living life above our circumstances. He has shown me that the greatest forms of joy in my life have come through adversity. That my greatest learnings, without exception, have always been through the trials and the pain. We should never whine or complain about anything. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you these questions. Think about this. Do we really believe, do we really believe that all things work together for good? Romans 8, 28. Do we really believe, do we really believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Romans 8, 39. Do we really believe that we're to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Do we really believe that we're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. People ask me a lot, have you ever questioned God? Have you ever questioned God? I really haven't. I really haven't. He has used and continues to use this thorn in my side to bless me. I praise him for the adversity. I thank him for his providence. I glorify him as Lord. I worship him for his unconditional love and sacrifice. I choose transcendence through him, for him, and because of him. He can be and is to be glorified in all of our circumstances. In no way is he limited by our circumstances, even in what we deem to be the most dire of circumstances in our life. I've seen him glorified in death as well as in life, in tragedies as well as in miracles. He is God. He is God. I know you can do all things, O Lord, and that no purpose of yours 
can be thwarted. Job 42.2, I choose transcendence to be so much stronger. Legacy, the fifth truth. On my bathroom mirror, I have a really pretty photo. And underneath this photo, it simply says, the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. Being a simple-minded man, you can ask my wife, a simple-minded man, I believe that life is really about two things. It's about making memories and touching lives. It's what we take with us and it's what we leave behind. As I get older, it seems like the most simple of pleasures are fueling my greatest memories. I love being with my wife, with my dogs, in the privacy of my home. Are you ready for this? Watching Hallmark movies. I love it. I love it. There's few that I haven't seen. Okay, I just checked in my man card. I'm going to get it back on the next one. I love being at the ranch, as John was saying, with loved ones, by the fire pit, and I'm going to get it out there with a Mountain Dew in one hand and a cigar in the other. Just doesn't get much better. (laughs) Call me a sinner. I love every moment with my children and their families. Having to feed the animals early every morning, I love to see every sunrise unfold as a magnificent piece of art painted just for me. I love kissing my grandbaby. Is there anything more amazing than being a grandparent? Excuse me. I love digging into a plate of Texas barbecue. It just makes me happy. I love the smell of citrus blossom. I love listening to Rascal Flats, to Bethel, and yes, the king, Michael Jackson. I love ministering to folks when they least expect it. Please hear me. Every day, every moment is filled with causes of celebration, gifts from our loving God. Amen? We need to make memories. It's what we take with us. And yes, touch lives. When you live life like you're dying, I love the Tim McGraw song, you think about legacy all the time. Not a day goes by when you don't think of it. Oftentimes, not even an hour goes by. First and foremost, the mark you leave on loved ones. How you've been used for God's kingdom, for his purposes. Your generational impact on lives through your work, through your service. Once we've passed, once we've passed, what will they say about your life five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? Will they say anything at all? Our life is all about legacy, is it not? Amen. Our legacy is a strong foundation we leave behind. Stillness. I try to spend some time every day. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting better. Just doing nothing. I mean nothing. (laughs) Hallelujah is right. I was really, really bad at doing nothing until the last few years of my life. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or lazier, but I just know I'm doing it more often now. I have a favorite swing at our ranch where I love to sit. Just being still. Just being still. Let's define that. 
no agenda, no planning, no worrying, no reading, no writing, no rationalizing, no listening to music, just being still before God. Just feeling the warmth of the sun on my face, the gentle breeze, hearing the wind, the rustling of the leaves, the birds chirping, breathing deeply, just feasting on God's creation, just basking in his presence. I came across a term some years ago. I read a book by Matthew Kelly called Dream Manager, and he uses the term carefree timelessness, carefree timelessness. I believe that when we experience that, we can begin to sense God's presence. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. Psalm 23, 2. In John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, he says the space where we find rest and healing for our souls is solitude. Solitude. A hand filled with rest is better than two fists filled with labor, striving after the wind. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. The place we live in Needville, we call Eden 2 Ranch. And our ranch verse is simply Psalm 46.10. We all know it. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. We must learn and practice the art of being still. To be truly present with God. To rest in Him. Only when this happens can restoration take place. We all need restoration in our lives. I would venture to say that some of us, this used to be me, that some of us have gone weeks, months, even years, and not had a single time of stillness the way that we just discussed. We desperately need stillness in our lives. It's so easy to neglect this truth. Are you with me? Being still restoreth my soul. It strengthens me at the core. The sixth truth, endurance. I learned a life lesson at 15 that continues to serve me well. I used to love to run. I'd run like the wind. I was like Forrest Gump. And I remember my dad challenged me to run in the Houston Marathon. Now, in 1977, I didn't even know what a marathon was. Most of us didn't back in those days. And he explained to me the significance of running in a marathon. And I had to explain to him, I said, Dad, I said, I've never run more than three miles in a row in my life, and the race is in a month. I said, it's impossible for me to run in a marathon that's right around the corner. And I don't remember what he said, but it had to be something like this. He said, I'm son, son, I'm so sorry. I just mistakenly thought you were someone who could set his mind whatever you achieved to, whatever he wanted to achieve. And whatever, whatever he said, all I can tell you is that afternoon, I developed a training plan and I started running. I didn't know what I was doing. I just started running. So three miles, every day I ran more than I ever had before. Four miles, five miles, six miles. Five days before the race, I ran 20 miles. I felt like I was ready for the race. On January 22nd, 1977, it was 43 degrees and rainy that day. And in my leather Adidas, and my long pants, I didn't know what to wear. I didn't know what to eat. I just ran. I ran the race. I ran the race. <laughs> and I remember crossing the finish line and collapsing in my dad's arms. I was physically sick 
the rest of the day. I had shin splints for weeks to come. But through it all, through it all, I learned this lesson. That anything, anything is possible if we endure and we never, never quit. Amen? Amen. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Hebrews 12.1. Endurance can lead to never-ending strength. By the way, if you're wondering who won the race to the finish, the older gentleman or myself, he smoked me. He flew right by me. And a word to the youth, wisdom always trumps youth. <laughs> Lastly, my last point, I'm going to take my jacket off for this one. I think it's the most important point. The need to fight. The need to fight. I become very sensitized to seeing how the enemy loves to use fear to paralyze people. There is no room for fear in our lives. Amen? Amen. Fear not, for I am with you. I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. We must abandon our fears and trust him knowing full well that through whatever pain and suffering that we have to endure, God's equipping us. He's molding us like never before. In fact, and I'm wrapping up, there are times we are called to fight. The best things in life, the best things in life are always worth fighting for, yes? Always worth fighting for. It seems to me that in our culture today, this subject is avoided. It's just not discussed. The best things are always worth fighting for. We need to fight for our marriages. Tooth and nail, tooth and nail. I know I'm speaking to a number of you right now, guaranteed. Don't let the enemy divide you. Don't let him divide you. Men, fight for your queen. I've had to fight for mine. There is no battle more worthy, amen? We need to fight for our children and our grandchildren's future. Is there anything more important? We need to fight for our freedoms. We need to fight to always do what's right despite the consequences. My church family, please. Satan, he hates us. He hates us. We cannot begin to fathom his hatred for us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. John 10.10, it's who he is. We have to fight. We may be called to fight loss, devastation, deep and relentless pain, betrayal, helplessness, addiction, depression. Satan has a litany of tools at his disposal. Sometimes we need to fight just to be kind and loving to everyone that we come in contact with, treating them with honor, dignity, and respect despite heavy opposition by the enemy. We need to fight, my church family, the need to portray ourselves as being picture perfect. We fool no one. We are all abject sinners in desperate need of a loving God. Amen? Amen. Seems to me, it seems to me, forgive me, but there are many good people and some not so good people that go through life and they're not willing to fight for anything. Here's a crazy thing. It's a paradox in my life. 
I've been blessed with a terminal illness. I've had the privilege of being forced to fight. I know it sounds crazy, but when I go into the hospital for major surgery, I get excited. I'm like a warrior yearning for battle. I actually train mentally, spiritually, and physically. Mentally, I choose joy, and I refuse to be enslaved by incessant worrying. It's just a mindset. It's simply a mindset. It just takes a little bit of discipline. We're told to be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 6. I surround myself with loved ones who sharpen me. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. Their fellowship strengthens me. I can't imagine life without it. I read, I bury myself in the word, I pray, but most importantly, I seek the prayers of prayer warriors. There is nobody more powerful on earth than a prayer warrior, amen? And I train physically. I train all year. And I take one week to see what I'm really capable of. Specifically the last few years, I see how many push-ups I can do in one week, limiting myself to one workout per day during that week. This past December, during the week of December 18th to the 24th, I did 17,050 push-ups. I am ready for any physical battle that comes my way. Most of us will literally have to fight for our life. Most of us. Hopefully when you're old, but perhaps not. I've seen too many people, far too many people, ill-prepared, fearful, not ready to fight, go into the hospital and never leave. We have to do the very best that we can, the very best, and trust God with the rest. When we do our part and we allow him, we trust him to do his, he blesses us with a, with a peace that surpasses comprehension, right? Philippians 4, 6. It's the most beautiful thing if we're just willing to trust. We must be ready for whatever battles come our way. And we know, we know they're coming our way. We must see ourselves as warriors prepared to fight, putting on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6.11, in closing. Be strong and courageous. Be not dismayed, for the Lord is with us wherever we go. Joshua 1.9, may each of us grow in wisdom, strength, and courage with every passing day. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Proverbs 4.8, whatever lies before us, may we always be ready to fight the good fight. 1 Timothy 1.18, my brothers and sisters, we can do all things, not some things, not most things. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Philippians 4.13, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. Romans 8.37, I praise God for the blessings of the thorn. I thank you. I love every one of you. May God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.